Once upon a time, I was standing at the back of the church greeting folks after a service. Somebody walked up to me and said with great enthusiasm, Pastor Aaron, that was a great sermon. It was perfect for my neighbor. Of course, I'm looking and going, I thought it would be perfect for you too. Just like Anthony said, we love it when we hear God's will and we're like, yes, for someone else. God's will is a little bit like taxes, right? We know we got to be paid, but we'd rather somebody else pay them. God's will is a little bit like laundry. We know it's got to be folded, but we'd rather someone else in the family do it. God's will is a little bit like you fill in the blank, right? Whatever analogy works best for you. What we're going to talk about today in Acts chapter 11, and if you haven't turned there already, please join me. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18, our key text today, is the acceptance of God's will. And what we'll see in our text is five principles or five steps in accepting God's will. And frankly, uh, they're pretty much just like we are because God wrote this Bible and he knows us and people don't change no matter what era or history or language or anything like that. And so if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word, I'd invite you to do that. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. While you do that, let me remind you that this is mostly a retelling of what happened uh, from our sermon last week in Acts chapter 10. So um, if you're going, hey, what's going on here? Go back and read Acts chapter 10. You'll see that. But uh, we'll get there. Acts chapter 11, verse 1 and following. The apostles and brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the uh, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began to explain everything to them precisely as it had happened. It was in the city of Joppa. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down where I was and it looked, I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Verse 9. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and said, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. Verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us in the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave uh, us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God. So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Let's pray. God, we open your word and we pray as always you open our minds and our hearts to understanding that we would obey you, accepting your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
As I said, we've got five steps to accepting God's will in our text today. And the first one is this, selfishly doubting God's plan. Five steps to accepting God's will. And the first one is selfishly doubting God's plan. They were human, you're human, we all kind of go, whoa, wait a second. The apostles and brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. What had happened? At that point in time, the church, the only church, was full of Jewish believers. They were people that were Jewish first, and therefore they had followed all the Jewish rituals, all the things that Judaism said to do, and all those laws that had been made up even by men, not by God. And so from their understanding, you had to be Jewish and follow all these laws and add Jesus to that. But there was something happening. And then Jesus had said the gospel would be preached to all nations, not just Jewish people, but all nations. And everybody other than a Jewish person is referred to as a Gentile person. The gospel had already been preached to the Samaritans, like Jews, but not all the way. But they weren't Gentiles either. But now, in the story of Cornelius from uh, Acts chapter 10, we see that the Gentiles, Cornelius being first among them and those in his household, received Jesus as their personal Savior, were sealed with the Holy Spirit. They were saved. They were changed. But look at verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, in other words, Jewish believers, criticized him. Wait a second. Rather than saying, hey, isn't it great that Gentiles finally trusted Jesus? What the God said to Abraham that uh, all nations of the world will be blessed through us, the Jewish people, and through Jesus, we now see in fruition that Gentile people are beginning to accept Jesus as their Savior. That's not what they said, verse 3. And they said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Wait a second. This is big news. I mean, this isn't like, you know, the McRib is back. This isn't Aaron Rodgers has joined another football team for this season. This isn't like the Huskers won a Big Ten championship in football. Had to add that part. This is bigger news than any of that. This is a whole different group of people. Everybody other than the Jews, a very small group of the population of people on the entire earth, some of them... Cornelius and those in his household have trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, and they're more worried about the fact that he went into the house and ate with them? What is up with that? Last week, we talked about that the Jewish believers were hung up on two things, their religious background and their racial prejudice. And these things were great barriers to overcome, greater than we can understand for most of us. I said to you, imagine, if you can, the person that you think is most different from you, most other than you, and that that person would be the person you'd go visit. That person would be the person that you'd share the gospel with. That person would be the one that trusted Jesus as their Savior, even though you'd be like, I don't see how that person could or would ever trust Jesus as their Savior. That's how big, that's how far the gulf between Jewish people and Gentile people were. So what we have here is that they selfishly doubted God's plan. Who selfishly doubted it? The Jewish believers in Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, which leads us to a question. How do I tend to question God? How is it that I tend to question God? What about you in your life? What do you do to question God? I know you do because you're human 
I do because I'm human. God says, go. You're like, no, I'm good, God. God says, go right. You're like, "Um, I'll go left, God. God says, go right. You're like, I'll just stay here, God. God isn't your mama trying to get you to eat your veggies. His sovereign love has got so much more to to do with you than Brussels sprouts. God is sovereign, and God continually pursues a love relationship with you that is real and personal if you'd only turn to Him in faith. Spend time with Him in prayer. Spend time with Him reading your Bible and pursue Him as a growing Christ follower. So we've got five steps to consider. The first one is selfishly doubting God's plan. The second one is clearly hearing God's direction. Clearly hearing God's direction. Because what happens next is Peter tells them the story or explains to them exactly what happened. Verse 4 says that. He said he began to explain everything to them precisely as it had happened. I'm in the city of Joppa praying. I'm in a trance. Uh, A large sheet vision comes down from heaven. There's birds and animals of all kinds. The voice says to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 8, I love this one. I replied, surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. This is where Peter gets all legalistic and full of religion. He was a good Jewish boy, Peter was, and so he wouldn't eat an unclean animal, Peter wouldn't. And as a believer in Jesus, he still felt that way. I have to keep all my Jewish laws. I have to keep all my Jewish rituals in order to justify myself before God. And even though he knows Jesus had forgiven him three times when he denied him three times, and even though Jesus had reinstated him three times because he denied him three times, Peter still had this legalism and this religion within him that he was holding on to. I grew up in church. I was a good kid. Not unlike Anthony, my dad wasn't my you know, teacher, coach, athletic director, and my dad or anything like that, but I knew all the right things to say, and I all knew all the right things to do, and implicitly, I learned that on Sunday morning, you put on nice clothes. Sunday morning, your mom fixes your hair fancy. She doesn't do that any other morning of the week. Sunday morning, when you go into church, you don't talk with a normal voice. You talk a little more hushed because the sanctuary is where God is at. That's what I thought when I was a kid. Sunday morning is the place where you don't misbehave and you don't run in the sanctuary and you don't fight in the sanctuary. You can do that with the other kids outside or in the playground of the church, but not in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. I had all these things taught to me, whether they meant to or not. And so here I am as the kid who on Saturday would be whopping somebody else and being ugly and angry with them and saying nasty things to them. But on Sunday morning, I'd be all right. Surely not, Lord, I'd never run in the sanctuary. Surely not, Lord, I'd never say an ugly word in the sanctuary. Surely not, Lord, I'd never wear shorts and, you know, a t-shirt to church. Surely not, Lord. How many of us are like that, right? We got all these things we make up about, oh, Lord, I'd never do that. Yet, the rest of our life, the part we don't want people to see, the part that's in the closet back there is full of a mess of sinfulness and ugliness and habits. We need to get over ourselves, folks. Clearly hearing God's direction. When God speaks to us, we got to do something about it. The voice said to him, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened to him three times and it went up back up to heaven. Three times God wanted to know. Your second application question on your outline there is when has God spoken to me? 
When is it that you've clearly heard God speaking to you? You've been reading your Bible and it's like, boom, this one's for you. And you're like, whoa, nah, that couldn't be God speaking to me. That's just my mind. That's just the burrito I ate last night. That doesn't matter. You're praying and you feel like there's a voice in your head that says, this is what you ought to do. And you're like, oh, that's just my conscience. I wouldn't think that. Another Christ follower is talking to you and it's like the, whole, the hair stands up on the back of your neck because the Holy Spirit's trying to get your attention and say, bro, listen to this. You listen to a sermon of a pastor and it feels like your chest is getting ripped open and your heart's getting pulled out, not because it's Indiana Jones, but because God by the Holy Spirit saying, I've got something to tell you here. You need to pay attention. And if you're stubborn, if you're ignoring it, if you're sinful, if God really wants you to hear, he's going to speak to you. Let's move on to your third point in your outline. The third point is immediately obeying God's command. There are five steps to accept God's will. The first one was they were selfish about it. The second one was, you know, Peter clearly heard it and he was going to do what he needed to do. God bless Peter for giving us an example of obedience. But look what he did. He didn't just say he was going to obey He obeyed immediately. Verse 11, right then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea stopped at the house. Verse 12, the Spirit told me, go without hesitation with him. So he took six brothers with him. That's verse 12. Verse 13, he told us how he'd seen an angel. This is Cornelius talking to him, sits in the Joppa for Peter. He'll bring a message to you through which you and all your household will be saved. And I began to speak, and the Holy Spirit came on them. And you got to love verse 16. Because as he's preaching Jesus to this Gentile crowd, God had said to him, go. The guy showed up and said, come. He went immediately. It was a day's walk or so to get there, right? And then he gets there and he does what Peter does. He opens his mouth and he talks about Jesus. And as he's talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit falls on the group. Remember what we learned last week, that Cornelius and all his household were there and he invited friends and family members. Heaven knows how many people were there. Dozens of people are there. And the Holy Spirit falls on them. Now, how did he know the Holy Spirit fell on them? It does. Speaking in tongues. They were exhibiting signs that were supernatural, signs that we don't see today in the same way. But then, because God wanted to impress on Peter and God wanted to impress on the six witnesses with Peter, God wanted to impress on the uh, Jerusalem church that was full of Jewish believers that he was at work. Verse 16 says, Then I remembered what the Lord said. John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. You ever had one of those aha moments? Bing! The light goes on in your head. Ever working on a problem and sometimes you're just like, I need a bigger hammer. But not every problem is solved by a bigger hammer, right? Sometimes problems need hearts to change or minds to change and it might be your heart. It might be your mind. It might be that you just need to walk away. It might be that you need to take a break. It might be that you need to offer some prayer. It might be that you need to seek some counsel. And then, bing, the light comes on. And you know in that aha moment how to solve the problem. 
Peter had an aha moment in verse 16 to solve the problem in his mind of how could Gentile people receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord and exhibit that by these gifts of the Holy Spirit that they were now showing? Because Jesus said it would happen. Bing! Your third question says, what happens when I do what God says? If we immediately obey God's commands, in Peter's life, something miraculous happened. He immediately obeyed. Those Gentile believers, or excuse me, those Gentiles in Cornelius' house believed in Jesus, had the gifts of the Holy Spirit poured on them, and now he's uh, reporting that to the church at Jerusalem. But what about in my life? I'm not Peter. I'm not a preacher. I'm not the first guy to preach to Gentiles that they would be saved. But God has plans for you that you would obey And that he would work through you as you obey. Obedience to God changes everything. I haven't said this one in a while, but here you go. That one's tweet worthy. Obedience to God changes everything. It is the game changer. Obedience to God opens eternity to God's sovereign will to come and do what he wants to do. Instead of me being like, nope, God, I got it. I got it, God, I'm going to keep it all in this little box because this is what I feel like I control. Obedience to God isn't just when you take the lid off the box. It is when you throw the box away and say, God, your will be done. Your sovereignty at work. Your love in hearts. God, change me. God, change my life. God, change those around me. It's surrender. Obedience to God opens eternity. It is Let's move on to the fourth point in your outline. The fourth of our five steps to accept God's will is this, and that's absolutely trusting God's sovereignty. Absolutely trusting God's sovereignty. Verse 17. So, if God gave them the same gift as He gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? There's a reason this is our scripture memory verse of the month. I haven't emphasized for a while that those scripture memory verses of the month, we ought to memorize. I used to call it the scripture memory verse of the month. Maybe I need to put that other word in there again. We need to put in our minds, put in our hearts this idea. Because we've got our question there, our fourth question on our outline. And that's, when have I tried to obstruct God? We've all watched crime drama shows. We know that obstruction of justice is a charge. That's when you get in the way of legal authorities investigating or doing the right thing legally. And your breaking the law was not that you committed a crime that they're investigating, but you're obstructing them from investigating the crime. We do that all the time with God's will. God's working along with His will. We're like, I'm going to obstruct. Nope, God, I'm not going to do it. God, you say right. I'm going to go left. God, you say stay, I'm going to go. God, you say go, I'm going to stay. All the time we're guilty of obstructing God, and it is sin. Be honest, you have done it, you will do it, maybe you are doing it. How's that working out for you, that obstruction of God? Think about that last phrase in verse 17. In the King James, it says, what was I that I could withstand God? In the ESV, it says, who was I that I could stand in God's way? In the CSB, it says, how could I possibly hinder God? Peter had it figured out. God is sovereign. I'm going to obey him, and he's going to do things that I can't even imagine. Let's move on to our fifth and final point. 
fully accepting God's love. Fully accepting God's love. Now, there's a reason I put that one this way uh, for verse 18. Let's read verse 18 together again. When they, the people who were previously upset at Peter for eating in the house of an uncircumcised person, not excited about the fact that um, Gentiles had trusted Jesus, when they, that racially prejudiced and religiously hemmed in group of people, the church of Jerusalem, when they heard this, they had no further objections. Their hearts changed and praised God. Or I should say it this way, they had no further objections, their minds changed, and praise God, their hearts changed, saying, so then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. They went from opposing Peter for preaching the gospel to accepting that Peter preached it, and these people were honest to goodness members of their family now, believers in Jesus, Christians, Christ followers. They were fully accepting God's love, which leads to our fifth and final question about accepting God's will. And that's how has God changed my mind. Some of us are known for being stubborn. You know anybody that's stubborn? Maybe you live with somebody that's stubborn. Some of us are known for being strong-willed. Some of us are known for being determined. Perseverance has its place. Strength, patience, all those things have their place. But there's a dark side to all those when we are opposing God. When we say, God, all the character strength you've given me, I'm going to use to obstruct you, to oppose you, to deny you, to disobey you, to sin against you. So I need to ask, how's God changed your mind? Has there been something in your life, even recently, where you said, uh-uh, God, not going to do it? And you finally surrendered. Somehow God got through to you. Somehow your mind changed. Somehow your heart changed. And God changed your mind. Maybe there's something right now that God needs to change your mind. Let's look at our scripture memory verse of the month. Because it reminds us again about how God can change our mind and how we need to obey. Say it with me. Acts eleven seventeen. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Acts eleven seventeen. Who am I? To think I could stand in God's way. Who are you to think you could stand in God's way? We can't. Let's pray. God our Father, we come before you this morning. And we're convicted that we all oppose you and obstruct you, disobey you. We all sin against you. Because there are times in our life and things that you say that should be easy for us to obey, but we disobey, we sin. And so God, our Father, we confess that sin to you and we ask that you would forgive us of that sin. And we seek to repent and change our direction and not live such disobedient lives with that one thing or all those things again. God, maybe there's someone here today that needs to trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. They need to talk to me today or talk to someone else about that. 
Maybe there's one of us here that's struggling with some besetting sin. We need to sit down with someone else, maybe even instead of going to Sunday school and have a one-on-one conversation that confesses and seeks to repent, seeks accountability and encouragement that we might obey you. Whatever it is, God, would we obey you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.